Well, a small town in, in a small southern town, there was a, uh, there was a nativity scene. You showed great skill and talent that they had gone into creating it. And one small feature bothered me, he said. He said, the three wise men were wearing firemen's helmets. Totally unable to come up with a reason for our explanation, I left. And at a quick shop uh, stop on the edge of town, I asked the lady behind the counter about the helmets. She exploded into rage, yelling at me. You blank Yankees never do read the Bible. I assured her that I did, but simply couldn't recall anything about firemen in the Bible. She jerked her Bible from behind the counter and ruffled through some pages and finally jabbed her finger in the passage, sticking it in my face, and she said, See, it says right here, the three wise men came from afar. <laughs> anyway. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn, if you would, over to the book of uh, Colossians, and chapter 3. Chapter 3. Let me read this for you. If you follow along in the screen, if you don't have your Bibles, we welcome those that are viewing us by YouTube or uh, on the Internet. Uh, we will put those, those scriptures will be on the screen. Uh, so if you go along with us. Listen to what Paul says. He says, if then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on this earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Father, how much I need you this morning. You have once again reiterated to me that I really can do nothing whatsoever on my own. The prophet Zechariah reminded us that. You said simply that it's not by might, nor by power, but by your spirit, saith the Lord. So, Lord, it's only by the, the, the person and the power of the Holy Spirit that anything can be accomplished here today. So that's what we pray for. We pray simply that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart would be acceptable in thy sight. For you're our strength, you're our redemption, you're our everything to us, Father. And we just can't do this without you. And we ask this all in the mighty name of Jesus and for his sake, amen. I want to talk to you about something here this morning called the three L's of Christianity. Now, this is something I feel like the Lord has given me. I was sitting around, just piddling around, and these sort of came into fruitation as I was listening to it. Paul one time said this in, in 2 Corinthians eleven three. He said, but I fear least somehow as, as the uh, serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. And I think that's what we do many times. We take those things that God has given us and we make them so complicated that we lose something in the translation. We lose something in our interpretation of it. 
And so I, you know, he wants us to come back to, as a Christian, what are the three things now that I've come to Jesus that I'm to do? And I believe these are the three things. They all start with the letter L. One is, I'm to love other people. I'm to love other people. Second one is, I'm to lead other people. I'm to love other people. I'm to lead other people. And the third one is, I'm to liberate people. I'm to liberate people. One of the most wonderful words in the vocabulary is the word grace. And we understand that grace is something that we, that we don't deserve. We all, whether we want to believe it or not, we don't want justice because justice and justing is, justice is getting what we deserve. And that's the last thing any of us want. We all know that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all know that the Bible says in 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 8, it says simply that if any man says not sin, he's a liar, and the truth is not in him. It goes on to say in verse 10, it says if we say that we have never sinned, we don't even know God, is what it says. So we know that we're sinning. If, we if we get what we deserve, every person in here, if we get what we deserve, then if we get justice, then that's not exactly what we want. Mercy is not getting what we deserve, even though we are guilty. We want mercy, but it's getting what we don't deserve, even though uh, our, what we deserve, even though we're, we're, getting, we're not getting that. But grace is not only getting what we deserve, but it's declaring us not guilty as our sins as if it has never happened. And that's the difference. When God takes his grace and he applies it to you, it's as if you had never sinned. That, that, that's what it is. It, it's like we've never done anything wrong. I don't understand that, but that's what God does. And whether we, we want to believe it or not, that's what he does. So I think that most of us understand what grace is, but there's also what we don't understand. And what we as Christians, and especially in America, have got to come to the place that we understand that there's, there's saving grace, but there's not only saving grace that saves us from our sins, but there's also persevering grace. In other words, how do we deal with all the problems and all the things and, and, and we look around us and, man, things have changed so much in 20 years. I mean, I guarantee if you took somebody back that had passed away maybe 20 years ago, they came to this time right now, they wouldn't even recognize what's going on in our world today. You know, and so we, we, we understand saving grace but there's also something that's called preserving grace or keeping grace. And that's what God is wanting to do in your life if you've come to know Jesus. There's too many of us that live defeated. The Bible says that which is born of God overcomes the world. That we come to the place that we're victorious in things. How many of us, when we're faced with trials and troubles, the first thing we think of is, oh gosh, I don't understand. Lord, why is this happening to me? Rather than, I must tell Jesus that we're to bring everything to him. Didn't he say to us, come to me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest, learn of me, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Didn't he tell us? But we don't do that. We're still relying on our own strength. 
and, 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 and preserving grace or, uh, or, or, or the grace of God that, that preserves us is something greater. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. For if God has saved you, he has saved you for a purpose. But until you learn that you can trust him in everything, you're not going to fulfill that purpose. And the very reason that many of us feel empty, the very reason that some of us, we worry ourselves to death, the many times we do things, we say things we shouldn't say, whatever else, is because we don't see our purpose in things. That doesn't mean, okay, I've come to Jesus and I've been forgiven and now I can go live my life I can now go live my life the way they, I want to. No, that, that's not what God is saying to him. And, and in fact, there's actually a doctrine that says for that, and that doctrine is called antimonianism. What does it mean? It means I'll come to Jesus, now I'll go live my life the other way. No, that, that, that's not what God is wanting to do in your life. You see, at one time, you and I were prisoners of sin. And if you're here today and you've never come to Jesus, you're a prisoner. And the devil has you right now. You're in a backslidden condition. Whatever it is, he has you. And God doesn't want that to happen. But then we came to Christ. When we came to Christ, yes, he set us free. He set us free from those sins. I don't have to worry about those sins anymore. They're gone. But let me tell you something. Uh, There's something else that happened in our life. And listen to what it says in Romans 6, verse 17 and 18. It says this, but God be thanked that though you were the slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine of which you were delivered. And then he goes on to verse 18. Having been set free from sin, listen to this, you became the slaves of righteousness. See, I'm glad I, tra- I traded in this, uh, that being a slave of sin But let me tell you what I traded it for. I traded it to be a slave of righteousness. And you know that if you've come to Jesus. Because all of a sudden when you came to Jesus and you were out trying to do the things that you used to do, all of a sudden you couldn't do it. And why you couldn't do it? Because the Holy Spirit was inside you and the Holy Spirit was saying, no, you don't act that way. No, you don't say that. No, you don't do that. No, keep your mouth shut. And what Galatians says... Galatians says, where that you cannot do the things that you wish. Well, the Holy Spirit's inside you. And so, having been set free from sin, we became the slaves of sin. If you were to talk to a slave and ask him, what's it like being a slave? Well, he he would say to you simply, well, from nine to five, I'm a slave, but then I'm on my own. I do what I want. You know that's not true, but no. Have we forgotten, and listen to this, if you signed up to walk with Jesus, have you forgotten what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20? It says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You're not your own? You sold out to Jesus, you're not your own. And verse 20 says, For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Have we become like the nine lepers that were healed by Jesus, but lost all sight of what he had done for them? And those nine did not come back and even thank him. Have, have we become like them? Have we bought into the idea that when you became a Christian, 
that it was just for one facet of your life. That's why I've asked you over and over again, and from this pulpit I've asked you, when you came to Jesus, what did you do? Did you come, did you come by did you come by addition or did you come by submission? Because if you came from by addition, all you did was come and say, Lord, I, you know, I just, uh, I, I, I'll probably need to come to Jesus and add a little bit more Jesus in my life. I'll put a little bit more Jesus in my life and that'll help me in my business. I actually heard someone say one time, say, well, I like to go to church because it's good for my business. Did you come just by addition? You're, you're such a good person. Well, I'll just add a little Jesus. Or did you come by submission? And you realize that you were lost, there was sin in your life, and that you had to come, because if you didn't come, you're going to be lost and split hell wide open. Which is it? And the only way I think that God will accept us many times is we come by that submission. You know, and so for, for many Christians today... Christ is just a facet of their life, one facet. You have so organized your life that you can put Jesus over in the corner and you do what you want. And, and Paul said in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What's he saying? He's saying Christ is my life in everything. I don't care what he does. So someone said one time, said, well, why don't you go to talk to Brother Lee about some of your problems? And, and, and the answer came back to them simply with the... the, the the person said, well, all he's going to do is tell me what the Bible says. That's what I'm supposed to do. It's not my opinion that matters. It's what the Word says. If in whatever I say up here, if I cannot back it up with the Word of God, then forget it. Forget it. No, no my worldview is that my focus on everything in my life is looking through the microscope of Christ. Raising my kids, my job, how I'm supposed to do things, make decisions. It's looking through that microscope of what Christ would have me to do. And you know, I think in this country we've developed the idea that full-time Christianity, where that Christ controls everything, is just for special Christians. Just for special Christians. Are Christians in full-time service, what we say. So the rest of us, we sort of pay so then those who are special Christians are in full-time service can walk with Jesus. No, no, a thousand times, no, that's not true. Listen, if you've named the name of Jesus, you are in full-time Christian service. I heard a lady one time say, you know, they asked, going out of the church and somebody asked her, said, well, who are you? What do you do? She says, well, I am a, I am a, I am a child, a disciple of Jesus Christ, and I'm cleverly hid that I am a factory worker. That's who you are. You're, you're in full-time Christian service. Christ is just not a facet of your life. He is to be everything in your life. Everything that you do, everything is, is all touched by Jesus Christ. You know, there's been times in my life when I was not pastoring. And did that mean my responsibility to stay in the Word or to pray, to share my faith? No, I still did those things. I still talked to kids. I felt like the kids that played for me in, in high school basketball, I felt like those kids had been given to me for me to lead them to Christ in some way. When's the last time, let me just ask this, when's the last time you shared your faith with somebody? 
I mean, really sat down with them and talked to them about their need of Christ. And have you ever led anybody to the Lord? Have you ever attempted to lead anybody to the Lord? You can't, listen, you can't screw it up if you love them and care about them. And by the way, there seems to be this idea that you don't have to come to church to be a Christian. And you know what? That's really true. You know I mean, I believe there are going to be people in heaven that really weren't very honoring in the church. I understand that. But sure demonstrates where your priorities are when you begin to form a habit of not coming. The Bible does say in Hebrews 10, 25, it says that, we, that we're not to forsake the assembling together of oneself as, and, 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 as a manner of some. And then it says not forsaking the symbol of ourselves together as a manner of some, but exhorting one another. Listen to this. So much the more as you see the day approaching. Don't we see the day approaching? Then I need to be in church. God may have something for you to say, for something to say to you. But let me give you another one. If I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm trying to emulate what Jesus said in Luke 4, 16. It says, and, and the Lord went to the synagogue, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue. That was his custom. He made a habit out of it. So if Jesus Christ went to church, man, I feel like I need to go to church. The main goal in your life should be is what Romans 8, 29 says. For whom he foreknew he all predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that we might be the firstborn among brethren. In other words, God is trying to do something in your life. He says in Philippians 1, 7, he says that he who has begun a good work and you will continue it till the day of Jesus. So he's trying to mold you. He's trying to make you into what looks like Jesus. He wants you to love like Jesus, have joy like Jesus, have patience like Jesus. All the things about Jesus, he wants to make you just like, you're just supposed to be identical to what Jesus wants. And the way we do that, we're not trying to be like Jesus because it's, it's get out of his way and let Jesus work through you. That's what we don't understand. So Paul, in writing to the Colossian church, tells them if they've come to Christ or if they have been raised with Christ, is what we just read over here, Paul then tells them two things they are to do and one thing to realize. First thing they tell them to do, they are to seek those things which are above where Christ is. To seek those things which are above. Now, the word seek here actually means having an urgency or a desire and amb ambition to seek those things. There should be an ex excitement that goes with seeking. Paul's not saying to seek out and listen to any preacher or teacher. So what are we, what are we to seek? We're to seek him. Let me say it again. I can't say this enough. We're to seek him, who? Jesus. Well, let me ask you a question. This is rhetorical, so nobody has to answer it. May I ask, have you just, have you, when has it been the last time that you just got alone with him until you heard his voice? I, I'm serious. Gotten alone with him and you heard him speak. Now, I'm not talking necessarily about just a verbal voice. But when you walked out of there, you knew he was all over you. Have you had that happen to you? Then if you haven't, you need to do that. What does it mean? It means I got to 
put everything aside. You, I, I've got to get everything alone. I've got to do everything I can and get alone with him. That you prayed, you searched the scriptures, and all of a sudden you knew, you knew you were in the presence of the Lord. That is for you. It's not for somebody that's real special or somebody in a foreign land or whatever. No, God wants to come to you. If you seek for me with all your heart and all your soul, you'll find me is what he says. You know, and, and all, you know, you, all of a sudden here's his presence. And, and the, the apostle Paul's desire and goal of his life was, three, was Philippians 3.10, that I may know him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection... And the fellowship of his suffering. In other words, what does that mean? I guarantee you start seeking him, you're going to suffer in some way. You're going to be persecuted in some way. You seek his presence, you try to do what? You're trying to get closer to him, I promise you it's going to happen. And, and he goes, and even unto death, the power of resurrection. If I really want to know him, I'm, I'm going to have to battle through those things. And, and, and you know, but it's worth it that I might know him and I have his presence on me. Then the second thing is, he says, set your mind on things, on things not about this earth. And Philippians 4, 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. You see, all sin starts in your mind first above everything else. And if it starts in your mind, then I've got to, and here's what I've got to do. The Bible says that when I first got saved, I have the mind of Christ. But it also says in Philippians, I have a choice in this. Let this mind be in you, which was all in, which is in Christ Jesus. So I've got to to fill my mind with things that are good. If I don't fill it with good, if I put in a bunch of junk and everything else, then guess what? I'm going to have all nothing but junk playing back in my mind. And, and this is a battle. Listen, I, I read the book of Proverbs and it says simply that I am, to, I am to simply get to the place that I don't allow the wicked way to come into my life. But it also says I'm not to let wicked thoughts come into my life. I've got to protect my mind. And, but you know what? The moment you decide you're going to seek Jesus, there will be all kinds of interruptions. The devil knows that if you find Christ and Christ alone, that's where the power source of your life is going to be. You know, so the world is not our home that's what he says. Some of us have forgot that. We're, we're, this isn't our home. This is why everything here is all screwed up. You know, heaven is our home. And so the third thing Paul says is, he says, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ Jesus. Uh, and he goes on, you know, he says, verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. Why? This is not your home. Why is it that you go through all this stuff and all these problems and everything? It's simply because of one thing. This is not your home. You ain't home yet. You're not home yet. And, and so then he says in verse 3, realize you died with Christ and your life is hidden with Christ. Jesus. You know, you, know you, should, should be, you, you have died. Do you understand you've died? Well, when did, you know, see, here's what you've got to understand. 
God was there when you died. See, God is out of time and space. So when Christ died on Calvary, when he died, and you, he, God looked down through time and space, he saw that you were going to come to Jesus. And when he saw that you were going to come to Jesus, guess what? You died also. So when did your death take place? It took place 2,000 years ago. When Jesus died, you died. And so as a result of that, here's what we're to do. Romans says, reckon yourself dead unto sin, but alive unto God. I am to continually reckon, I'm dead to that, I'm dead to that, I'm dead to that. I've said it before, but I, you know, before I ever went to college and all the other things I've done, I worked in the funeral business. And a lot of, I, I, was, I actually had my license. I'm a licensed funeral director and embalmer. And, and there was a lot of nights I spent in a, in a bombing room in the middle of the night with the dead person embalming or whatever. And I'm going to tell you right now, if one of them got off of the table, I'd been, there'd been a new door in that place. I'd run out of there like crazy. Listen, I know that dead means dead. And God said, you're dead. You're dead to the things of this world. You're dead to sin. If you will reckon yourself to be dead. You got, but what does that mean, to reckon? It means to reckon. It's an accounting term. You've got to add it up, add it up, add it up, add it up. For you've died. And Paul says over in Galatians 2.24, I have been crucified with Christ. Uh, for it's no longer I who live, but Christ Jesus that lives within me. And then he goes on to say, in the life that I now live, I live by the power of the presence of God and him only. God counted you dead when Christ died and you gave your life and soul over to him. And so he looks at you and he thinks, man, that guy's dead. Why is he trying to act like he's alive? You know, well, I've been taken, and what does that mean? That means I've been taken out of the old Adam by the baptism of the Holy Spirit and I've been placed in Christ. Listen to me. I'm, if you've come to Jesus, you have been encapsulated in Jesus Christ. What does that mean? God never looks at you except he sees you and all around you. He sees you're in Christ. And as a result of that, that's 2 Corinthians 5.21. He who knew no sin became sin for you that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ. God never looks at you apart from the righteousness of Jesus, from the blood of Jesus. So until that time... You know, until Christ, who is our life, appears, then you shall also appear with him in glory. But until that time, what do we do? Let's make this simple. Until Christ comes, I need to do three things. I am to love, I am to lead, and I'm to liberate. I am to love, I'm to lead, and I'm to liberate. I am to love. The Lord has given me the responsibility to love people. Let me give you it to you again. The Lord has given me the responsibility to love people. And that is people, even though they are not saved, people that have a different opinion, people with a different theology or eschatology, I am to love those within the gay community. And so as a result of that, because listen to what Jesus said, but if you love those who love you, what credit is it that for you, for sinners, love those who love him? And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? And even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those whom you have hoped to receive back, that credit is that you 
to you. Even sinners lend to sinners who receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good, and lend hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind and unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. What's he telling me to do? He's telling me that my responsibility is to love people. And may I tell you what this does? It lifts the responsibility off me. If they want to go out and act like a nut, if they want to go and do whatever they want to do down the road, whatever they're doing things, and I know it's wrong. Now, I'm going to have another, I have another responsibility in this, but I'm free from that. I've had people, and you know, there are people that come to me and they'll say to me, well, Lee, you know, these people that are in the gay community, they're hurting, and I believe that with all my heart and soul. I believe they are. And we got to help them some way. We got to reach them in some way. But that does not mean that I go along with what they're doing, how they're living their lifestyle. I cannot do that. The Bible teaches me I cannot do that I have to I have to I have to, God has called me to do two things he's called me to he's first he's called me to love people and he's called me to stand on the word love people but stand on the word of God now it means how we treat other people he's watching and so three times he tells us credit he, he, he said, you receive no credit. He says that three times. What does that mean? Jesus said, lay up in store in heaven things. Okay, so we don't receive any credit. He's watching us. The Bible also says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 5, and let me, I'll, I'll re, I can read it out of this, but let me just read it out of, uh, you know, let me just read it out of the, the New Living Translation. He says, I solemnly, he said, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus who will someday judge the living and the dead when he appears to set up his kingdom, preach the word of God, be prepared whether the time is favorable or not, patiently correct, rebuke, encourage your people with good teaching. For a time will come when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. It means you've got to stand up. Work by telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God's given you. Once again, I have, I have a responsibility to love people, but I have a responsibility to tell them when they're wrong. Can't help it. There has to be a balance. A balance of loving people and by the same time standing on the Word of God. I care about these people. And people think, well, you don't care about people because you've taken such a stand. No, I care about them. But at the same time, I'm standing on the Word of God. I once, I once heard a story of Billy Graham. And a college elected a president that the staff protested in hiring him. They didn't want him to be hired. But they hired this guy anyway. And once they hired him, the staff was just in fit. They, they were throwing all kinds of stuff. And, and, and so as a result of that, when they, they hired this guy, they asked Billy Graham to come. They asked Billy Graham to come and speak at the induction service for the new president that they were going to uh, honor. 
And so the faculty was lined up down the sidewalk when Dr. Graham stopped, and he got, he got out of the car, and he came. He shook hands with every one of them going up through there and, talk, and talked to each one of them, and he got, to, and he got up into uh, the office of the chancellor, and, and, and he told him simply this. He said, I just want to say this to you. He said, it was really nice for those people to greet me and to let me know, how, you know that they, were, they wanted to honor me here to come and greet me. And, and the chancellor looked at Dr. Graham and he said to him, he said, Dr. Graham said, they weren't here to greet you. They were here to protest you coming. And he stopped and shook hands with every one of them up through there, you know. And, and so, so I'm to love people. There's got to be that balance. To say to someone, I love you, but because I belong to Jesus, I can't go along with your lifestyle or your decision. It's the most loving thing you can do. But you say, now, Lee, other churches don't seem to have the same attitude that you do. The great temptation in the ministry is to seek popularity, and therefore you don't dare mention sin. I'm too old to be popular. Those want to emphasize to love everybody, and I agree. But what's your motive? Is it because you want to be liked? To be right with God, you can't compliment the ego and pat pride and smile upon sin. And you can't put cold cream on sin. You just can't do it. So many preachers are afraid to say God hates sin. Well, let me tell you something. He hates sin. The soul that sinneth will die. You cannot write a prescription or philosophy and have it filled in the pleasures of this world. The only cure, the only place is to go to the foot of the cross for all others move the problem from one place to another, but Jesus gets rid of the problem. He throws our sins in far, as far as in the sea of forgetfulness never to be remembered anymore. You know, here's a couple that you love and you care deeply about, and I've had this happen so many times. And they want to talk about church, and they want to, and they want to talk about how they want to come close to the Lord. And yet they're living together. You have no choice but to say something that they truly want to follow Christ. I had a fellow one time ask me to come to his house and talk to him, and I did. We're sitting outside, and, 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 and he asked me, he said, Lee, here's the, here's the problem we got. He says, I'm a, um, my child, or, or really it was the child of the woman he was living with uh, said, he's not doing what I think the Lord wants him to do. And I just stopped, and I just said, well, let's just stop right there. I said, are y'all living together? He said, well, yeah. I said, then how in the world do you expect me to go to him and tell him how you ought to act for Christ, and you got this going on in your life. Conversation ended pretty quick. <laughs> they sort of sent me on my way, <laughs> you know. But how do you do that, you know? You know, uh, uh, you know, some nice people, and I don't deny that, but they want you to accept their homosexual lifestyle. And, and I believe it. I, I mean, I'm, a, lot of, a lot of the guys are really coming out right now and all the things about the gay lifestyle. I know Mona, a lot of them I've known since they were kids. And I, I have nothing against 
going to live that way. And I, you know, you have to say, listen, I care about you. What happens to you? But I have to say this. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I live my life by the Word of God. And six times in the Bible, it says homosexuality is a sin. I love you. I care about you. But I've got to say, it's not right. What about, the, what about the son and the daughter that have gone into the gay lifestyle? You love them and you help them and if you can and you try not to make contact with them, I would definitely, but, but you, have to, you have to have a discussion how that you love them, but you cannot support them in their decision. And I have people sometimes ask me this question, well, if, you're, if, you're, if your son or your daughter is, is going to get married and they're going to marry another guy, they're going to marry another guy, and the woman's going to marry another guy, would you go to the wedding? And the answer is no. Why? Because you're giving your support to that there. And once again, my life is in Christ. And I follow Jesus Christ. Billy Graham was going to receive a major award. And see, there's, but let me tell you something. There's such freedom in this. Billy Graham was going to receive a major award and all kinds of celebrities were going to be there. And one of those celebrities that was going to be there was Bill Clinton. Now, this was right after the Mona Lewinsky thing. And they had just found the blue dress that she had. And they had seated him right next to Bill, uh, to Bill Clinton. And... <laughs> And his staff didn't want him to be there. And they said, because then it's going to look like that, you know, you, you sit next to him, it looks like you're, you know, uh, that you're supporting him and everything. And he, and he says, uh, uh, you know, and he said, you don't need to be sitting there. And Dr. Graham said, no, I won't do that. And he sat right by him. He says, it's not my responsibility to convict him, to condemn him. My responsibility is to love him and allow the Holy Spirit to convict him. You, you think about it. Boy, all these people out here running around like a nut doing all this stuff, and you say, oh, what are we going to do? You're free. Just do what the Lord wants you to do. And, and, you know, but you got to, you know, if you're put in a position to play, it's, it's with great relief that it is, has never been my responsibility to condemn anybody, and I've never done that. And yet the most loving thing a Christian can do is to love them, yes, but also warn them. Listen to what 1 John 5, 16 says. It, say, it says what? It says simply that if anyone sees his brother, listen to what the word says, if you're a Christian, anyone who sees the brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, in other words, God doesn't kill him first, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There's a sin leading to death, I do not say, but you pray about it. What's he saying? He's saying we've got to warn him. They have no choice. Now, Peter says this. You're going a little farther. We also, you know, has called us to love, but also to lead. Jesus said, you shall be witnesses unto me. Peter tells us in 3.15, but I sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Well, let me ask you this question. Why would anybody ask you? Why would anybody ask you for the hope you have in you? The only reason they would ask you is because they'd see a difference in your life than all those around him. 
That's what they would do. They would see a difference, and they want to know, why, why don't you get upset? Why do you do this? Why do you love people? Why you don't shoot your mouth off at anything? You know, the great Herbert D's revival that, that uh, G. Morgan Campbell went to, he said one of the first places when he got off the ship to go there, the first place they took him to was the police station. And why did they take him to the police station? There was 500 people gathered at the police station, and they were all crying out, Lord, have mercy upon me and save me. I don't want to die and go to hell. 500 people. Why were they there? Because the only person they knew in that area, in that region, was the police chief who was a godly man. Are people concerned when you're around them that you, that you love for Christ and you're living for Christ? They see a difference in you and the rest of the world. Those people you love, you, you may be the only link to them coming to know Christ. Listen, you may be the only one can lead that person to the Lord. You know, so what, what do you do? Well, here's what you do, and here comes, here comes the second thing. I've got to love people, but here's the second thing I've got to do. I've got to lead them. Well, you mean I, I, pray, pray, I pray with ceasing for them. I pray without ceasing for them. You pray that God will do the mystery in their heart, looking for the notice. They're in, inquisitive about things of God. In other words, so many of us want to rush in and talk to people. You know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. Listen, that's the worst thing in the world you can do many times. You're praying about them. You're waiting for the Holy Spirit to lead you to tell you when this person is. And they ask the question, man. So let me ask you a question. Why is it you live like you do it? You know, you just don't, it doesn't seem like things bother you. Why do you seem to have a peace and a joy? Have now there's your opening. And that's why it says you wait for that time when the Holy Spirit is showing you that door of opportunity. Because why are you praying for? You're praying that God, their, their heart, God's got to take their heart and make it tender so that seed of the Word of God can go deep within them. You wait and you pray for that door opportunity. You, you can lead them to the Lord and pray God will give them the exact word. People say, well, I just leave. I wouldn't know what to say. No, that's a lack of faith. Listen, you need to go to God because the last part of, of Colossians chapter 4, verse 4, says that I may say it and give the words as make them manifest as they ought to be said. In other words, God will give you the words to say. You know, I, I've seen people be led to the Lord just by one word. One, one, one thing was, you know, have you ever read the Bible? Well, no, I haven't. Well, okay, that guy couldn't sleep that night and get up and gave his heart to the Lord. We're to love, we're to lead, but we're also called to do this, to liberate. And so God puts people in your life around you that don't know him, and he expects you to give something to them that causes them to want to come to Christ. But here's the third thing. He wants to liberate. No, what do you mean by liberate, Lee? Are you talking about those people that are lost? No, I'm not talking about people lost. I'm talking about those who know the Lord. And there are too many people that know the Lord that are not free. They're still living under condemnation. Even though the Bible says in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no more condemnation in Christ Jesus. They, they, they don't overcome the, the, the problems that come into their life, they don't see it as God taking them, giving, and you don't give it back to the Lord, let him do it. I'm talking about those who, who, who are still in bondage because they don't know, thus saith the Lord. And we're to help them to grow. The writer of Hebrews says this he, he, to those in the church. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 5, verse 12, 14. Listen, he says, For though by this time, how long have you been a Christian? For this time, you ought to be teachers. 
You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you've come to need milk and not solid food. What's milk? Something's got to go through the regurgitation system of somebody else. In other words, you have to count on other people to find out in the Word. When God wants you to come, take the Bible and go through it right here and read it and let the Holy Spirit show you what it says. Verse 13, For everyone who partakers only in milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. He's a babe. And then here comes a little problem. Here comes something. Well, you know what I'm going to do, Lee? I'm just going to quit the church. We just can't go. Well, why can't you go? Well, somebody last Sunday got my parking spot. You know, Lord, Lee, uh, somebody, you know, uh, somebody got my seat. I've been sitting in that seat for all these years, and I got that seat just the way I want it. It's contoured to my back and everything else, and somebody last Sunday was sitting in my seat. The Bible teaches that which is born of God overcomes the world. Romans 8, 5 is the key. Listen to what it says. Setting your mind on the things so that the, of the flesh. It's for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit of things. Listen, the sins and the other problems that you're facing, whatever, it's because you put your mind on those things first. Put your mind on Christ, looking into Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He said, seek those things that are above. Romans 6, 11 says, reckon yourself to be dead. You know, it, it's sort of like this. You see, when you, got, when you used to live in an old address and you did everything, everything you wanted to do and you had sin in your life and everything else and all of a sudden Jesus got a hold of you and guess what happened to you? You moved. And you used to go, you used to go up to the same stoplight, turn right, and go down five, 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 uh, uh, five streets and you turned in, you went in your house. That's where you used to live. But then Jesus got a hold of you. And now you go up to the same stoplight. You have the same stoplight. And rather than going right, you go left. You go down so many blocks, turn right, right, right. And you pull into your new house. It's a nice neighborhood, everything else. Because Jesus lives there. One day you get off and you start thinking about it. You're not thinking about things. You come up to the same stoplight. And what do you do? You go right instead of left. You go down so many blocks, and you pull in your driveway. And all of a sudden you realize, wait a minute, I don't live here anymore. That's what God's trying to get you to understand. If you come to Jesus, you don't live there anymore. Amen? So quit acting that way. Get up from there and go on back to where you're supposed to be. Go back to where you're supposed to be, your real home. It's where you need to be. Now, let me hurry. I'm going to stop here a minute. I am. Don't worry. There's an end to this one of these days. He said, seek those things that are above. And reckon yourself to be dead. Second Corinthians. But here's the key. Second, see, see we, don't, we don't really, it's faith. We don't believe what God's done in our life. Listen to what it says, 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all with unveiled face. Why, why did they put a veil over Moses' face? Because the law, he came off, he'd been in the presence of God. And, and, and he was so overcome by the glory of the Lord. That it, it was starting to pass. They didn't want to see people to pass away. But also they ran from him. When Jesus came down off the Mount of Transfiguration with the grace of God, guess what people did? They ran to him because that's the difference in grace and law. But look at this. We all with unveiled face beholding in the mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as the Spirit of the Lord. Listen, you want to change in life? 
Do you want to get to the place that you're not doing the same old crap, the same old stuff all the time? Do you want to get to the place where you really come close to the Lord, you're walking with Him in every way? Then start looking in the mirror in the morning and believing that you're being transformed into the same. When you look through there, what do you see? Do you see yourself with all your sins and all your problems and all your pimples and everything else and the ugliness and everything else? Do you see that? Or do you see Jesus looking back at you? Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, He who knew not sin became sin for you that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so you can say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ So when you look in there and you start saying, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The more you say it, the more you believe it, guess what? What does it say you're going to do? You're going to be transformed. You're going to be changed. You're going to go out with a bounce in your step. You're going to go out and people are going to say, what's wrong with you? I just love the Lord. You know, I don't know what it is. Oh, so, so uh, you, know, uh, you know, and so, you know, so if you truly want to help someone, lead them to liberty in Christ, go to the book of Ephesians. And when you go to the book of Ephesians, see, chapter 1 through 3, chapter 1, one 2, and 3, chapter 1, 2, and 3, you know what it's telling you to do? It says set. It's telling you to set. Then you get over to chapter 4 and 5. You know what it's telling you to do there? It tells you to walk. To walk. You get over to chapter 6. What's chapter 6 telling you to do? It tells you to stand. But you see what we want to do? We want to walk or stand before we set. This is why Moses spent 40 years on the back end of a mountain. This is why Paul spent three years in Arabia. God, they weren't ready. They had to set to learn who they were in Jesus Christ. And in chapters 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, there's 47 promises to you that God has done in your life that you didn't have anything to do with. Other than giving your life to Christ, He's done all these things. He's done all these things in your life so that why? So that you can then learn how to set with Him. So when you set with Him, what happens? You can then begin to walk with Him. And when the trials of this world come along, you're going to be able to stand with Him because you know who you are. You know who you are in Christ Jesus. And so what's he done? Let me just give you a few of these. Listen to this. God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. These are all in just chapter 1. I'm not going to get chapter 2. God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. God chose us in him that we should be holy without blame before him, that we are predestined us to the adoption of sons and daughters, made us accepted in the beloved. I like that one. I used to think I'd be standing in line in heaven. I'm going to be standing between Peter and Paul. And I'm like, oh, boy, I don't belong here, you know. And he said, he's made me accepted in, in the what? The beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the richness of his grace, having known to us the mystery of his will, that we might gather together in one and all things in Christ. In him we have obtained inheritance being predestined, that we should be uh, to his praise and his glory. You are, you were, oh, this, I love this one. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You're sealed. What does that mean? Man, that's permanent. Uh, who is, is the guarantee God would give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him your eyes of your understanding be enlightened of what the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe now let me finish this way there are two prayers two prayers in the book of Ephesians the, and, and boy I tell you if you learn these prayers and you, somebody said well I just don't know how to pray for this let's, let's just pray these prayers 
And, and listen to what it says, Ephesians chapter 1, 17. Start with verse 17 through verse 21. Listen to what it says. We'll start with verse 16. Do not cease, he says. Uh, well, okay, let's start at 15. Therefore also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love of the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers. And listen, here he goes. Here's Paul going to pray. That the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom, revelation, and knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Verse 21, far above all principalities and powers of might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also then in the which is to come. Man, pray that prayer over me sometime. Now, let me give you one more. And this one I love. And this is, this is found over in the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, starting with verse 14. Listen to this. Paul says, for this reason. Listen to what he said. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I'm praying for you. Listen to what I, from whom From whom the whole family of heaven and earth is named. Here we go. That he would grant to you, grant to you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through the spirit of his inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love uh, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, the height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And listen to what the result of this. Listen, here, here's the result. You pray that prayer over somebody. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. And then he finally says, verse 20, to him be glory in the church of Jesus Christ all generations forever and ever. Amen. Oh, pray that prayer over me. Oh, we serve a mighty God who is able to do exceedingly above all that we think or ask according to the power that works in every person that's here if we'll just turn it loose. And I believe we're going to have to. We're going to face some things, guys. You know, I pray for you every day. And so I pray that we will. We'll turn it, we'll just turn the power of God loose. And, and you know, if we do that, we don't have anything to be afraid of. We don't have anything to worry about because of that so I'm asking you this morning do you know him have you know him if you don't know him then